Today on The Courier Daily, we're telling a tale of two companies. The first is a 20-year-old leather goods brand in New York. We're not immune to the fact that people don't need a belt right now. Most people are in sweatpants, right? They don't need a briefcase. They're not even going into work. So what will that say in the next quarter's numbers? We're anticipating a dip, but for now, it's the Billy Kirk light and engine is still humming along. The other business, run between L.A. and London, designs interiors for hotels and restaurants. With our clients, we've had discussions about the practicalities, so how many covers you can get in a restaurant, how far people are sitting away, not touching door handles, automatic systems, those kind of physical changes that we're going to have to adapt within the design process. And I'm hoping, our aspiration, I suppose, is that actually that is quite short-term. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 20th of April. And this is The Daily Podcast from Courier. We're checking in with small business owners all over the world to discover clever ways they're adapting and growing. And today we're kicking it off with two old buddies of mine, Chris and Kirk Bray, who I first interviewed years ago. And they're the founders of Billy Kirk, a super well-known and respected leather goods brand and bags brand in New York. And they just celebrated their 20-year anniversary. Guys, I'd love to get a breakdown, a sort of snapshot in time of Billy Kirk from logistics and distribution to e-commerce. But first, how are you guys coping at the moment? I guess we should probably preface this by saying we've all been pretty much self-quarantined for a little over a month. And so Kirk, being so close to the Billy Kirk studio, is really doing the lion's share of web orders, customer service, dealing with vendors, dealing with manufacturers, you know, accepting orders, packages, the whole gamut. We're constantly thanking Kirk in our morning meetings. You did write Captain Kirk in your email to me. <laughs> they actually sent me a, uh, an order of uh, nuts from nuts.com to kind of keep my protein and, and energy level up. <laughs> So, Kirk, are you are you literally just in the studio by yourself, surrounded by boxes upon boxes upon boxes of leather? Yeah, I live in the building next door, so I literally have about a three-minute walk here. I've been here alone for the most part. My girlfriend has been working from here occasionally to keep me company. I've been here alone, gosh, for a month now, maybe more. So how have sales been for you guys? You sell tons of different kind of products most of all of them are made you know from leather you have like you know accessories and bags and belts have you seen a big dip in sales on your e-commerce actually not yet <laughs> thankfully the dip is coming we had a scheduled annual spring sale so based on those sales our numbers from this year to now are pretty much even we're looking good now we're into april and may and then hopefully we start to hum again with the manufacturers and the vendors because I'm telling you, some of these guys have been really hit. In fact, one of our main tanneries literally lost a worker to COVID-19. A number of them were sick. One of our manufacturers, they've got family members that are sick. I mean, it really starts to hit close to home. What will that do to our sales? It's anyone's guess, but we're not immune to the fact that people don't need a belt right now. Most people are in sweatpants, right? They don't need a briefcase. They're not even going into work. So what will that say in the next quarter's numbers? We're anticipating a dip, but for now, it's the Billy Kirk light and engine is still humming along. What about distribution for you guys? How do you normally send out the products once you make them? Has that been hit at all? 
Kirk's dealing with USPS, he's dealing with UPS, and we sort of all know a lot of the pressure that USPS is having right now. I mean, they are really in trouble. They aren't a for-profit business, so, you know, where the airlines are getting bailed out, these guys are really suffering. I'm doing a lot of things I normally wouldn't be doing here. We're all in this together, like Chris said, and I'm literally shipping all the orders and dealing with USPS and UPS, and I think... You know, there is a bit of a lag with shipments right now, but I think the good thing about it is most people are really understanding of that right now. I mean, I, I recently placed something, an order on Amazon, and, and normally I would have it the next day, and I, I don't know when I'm getting it, to be honest, and I'm fine with that, really. I feel like it's we, we've stepped back 10 years in some cases with regards to shipping. But for the most part, I'm able to keep up with the orders that we have and getting them out and any issues I've had, people have been really, really understanding. What about marketing, Chris? Have you guys changed your strategy in any way? Do you guys do Instagram ads, Facebook ads, performance marketing, stuff like that? We certainly do. You know, it's given us an opportunity to really relook at marketing in general. You know, we just put out a PSA on blog post about the importance of disinfecting leather. Yeah, I read that. It was really in-depth. You guys really went to town on like explaining how to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the hide of a leather bag is just like your skin. The virus can last on there for X amount of time. I don't know if we fully know yet, but disinfecting leather is not a hard thing to do. And I think it's important. I mean, you go to the grocery store, you're touching your keys, you're touching your wallet, you maybe you're touching your tote, the handles, clean them. And then, of course, we talk about the importance of conditioning after you've done it a few times. You know, you start to look at the science of leather, and it is pretty incredible. Trillions of little fibers, you know, working together. You've been in business for 20-some-odd years. Is this the scariest it's been for you being entrepreneurs right now, or have you gone through tougher times like the last recession maybe? When we first got into this, and Kirk Bitch, we do have a pretty tight team, you know, early on, we let these guys know, we're not letting you go. Your, your hours are going to be altered to some degree, but it's really just setting these, you know, realistic expectations, you know, this sort of radically realistic with each other. I mean, we realize these are stressful times. We have to be easy on everyone, understanding, right? You know, we're all juggling stuff. I'm the only one with kids, per se, so we talk about... Per se? Per se, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. You are, Chris. There's got a couple cats, there's girlfriends, there's that sort of thing. But with kids, it's like, it just adds a whole other element and just worry element. You know, i lucky in some respects that my kids are in a certain age group. They're 10 and 14. They're Thankfully, they're not toddlers or they're not, you know, a senior in high school worrying about where they're going to college. So they're very self-sufficient. So I, I'm not having to worry about that as much. But yeah, we went through 9-11. We went through a major financial crisis. Yeah, I mean, 9-11 must have been an incredibly traumatic experience for as a small business owner in New York at that time. Yeah, 100%. But this is an invisible virus with no vaccine that, and maybe there will be in a, in a year's time, you know, we're millennials. We're like the only group that I think in the beginning really saw this as a serious threat because we have kids and older adults. I mean, even my parents for the longest time were like, oh, come on. It's the flu. Yeah, it's the flu. Or, you know, the kids were like, oh, thank God it's not going to happen to us. Because early on, it was like only people over 60 or something were going to get this thing. And so 
we are like the voice of reason. You know, a lot of us have businesses. A lot of us work for companies. I've had a number of friends get laid off. They're going to lose health care. They are in a real predicament. And so this is damn serious. And it is going to have lasting effects for a long, long time. We just have to really just stay positive as much as you can and know we'll get through this. We've been through a hell of a lot in our nation's history. I mean, you guys have a a product that you have to actually physically make, physically ship. You have a supply chain, you have materials. What knock-on effects do you think, just looking into the next 12 months, whatever, do you anticipate will have on, on your business? What keeps you up in the middle of the night for Billy Kirk? It's a cash flow. That's what keeps me up. It's just the cash flow issues, you know, with a small business. Every morning I come to the computer to check the orders, you know, I'm hopeful that they're abundant. Is today the day they stop ordering stuff? Yeah, exactly. It is that simple in some ways. But I think, you know, we'll learn a lot from this as a world, as a nation, as a business, so that we can, you know, be better prepared for something like this again, because it's going to happen, right? Something like this is probably going to happen again. Maybe in our lifetimes, I don't know. With Billy Kirk, we're all eager to work together and to just get through this together. And in that regard, it's been really positive. You know, we're all doing things we normally don't do from places we normally don't do them. But there's no question about it. We just we do it and we get through it together. And at the end of the day, it will be fine. Next up, restaurants and hotels may be closed around the world and going through an existential crisis. But what about all the companies that make a living from working with them? Well, Fettel is an architecture and interior design studio run by Tom Parker, who's based in L.A., and Andy Goodwin, who's in London. The two are currently completing the Hoxton Hotel in Rome, having previously designed the Hoxton Portland. They're also working on an Italian restaurant in London, a hotel in Munich, and other projects. Tom and Andy are on the line now. And guys, I guess my first question is, I mean, you run a company focused on working within an industry that, for the moment at least, doesn't appear to really exist. Because the vast majority of our work is in kind of those early middle stages, and we've been really fortunate that through no kind of, no planning on our behalf, the projects that we're working on at present are in that kind of middle ground and are long-term projects. We're kind of six to nine to 18 months off completion of a lot of the vast majority of the work that we have at present. Our immediate workflow isn't affected. I mean, typically to get a large restaurant whether like a new concept, for example, to get that from an idea and our appointment to the construction being completed. I mean, nine months to a year normally in the making, depending on where the site is, whether or not it's going to be a full refurb or it's a, like a soft touch, whether they've got another site. It, it can be shorter than that. It can be six months occasionally. But typically they're, they're quite long processes, especially in the hotels. So in that respect, immediate worry is probably not that pressing. I think I think Tom and I's major concerns relate is more to do with the future. So in the next six months, what work are then we're going to pick up for the kind of next year or the, the following? Right. What do you think will change in both the restaurant and hotel industries because of this crisis from your perspective? Will things be designed differently, planned differently? Will they work with firms such as yourselves differently? Will they do things more in-house perhaps? I think personally that there's there's probably a number of levels things are going to change. And I think just from an operational standpoint of how particularly the restaurant and kind of food and beverage spaces work, there's, you know, there's a number of cleanliness elements or at least things appearing to be clean that's going to be required. You know, just the way kind of food's prepared, how visible that is. And a lot of these things will be 
hygiene related and a lot of them will be conceptual related i think there's probably a transparency that people are going to require from brands in many ways and i think they're going to want to have more of an understanding of where product and where food and beverage and these kind of things come from in terms of our discussions with our clients we've had discussions about the practicality so how many covers you can get in a restaurant how far people are sitting away not touching door handles automatic systems those kind of physical changes that we're going to have to adapt within the design process and i'm hoping our aspiration i suppose is that actually that is quite short term potentially i think there will be an impact lighter maybe that this kind of technology is integrated into the market and it's probably more accessible and it's kind of expected but that's kind of something that will probably leave us i think in terms of the ramifications of this in terms of like financial markets and what that means for restaurants in terms of the food that they produce and the cost that that goes out at is kind of going to be more ongoing and and probably again touching on what tom said earlier we as a studio and tom and i personally we've taken quite a lot of positives about the situation that we're in at the moment in a period of self-reflection and i mean personally i've not had a takeaway since this started and that's not to do with not wanting to support local businesses or, or actually worried about the cleanliness it's more that I have more time at home, got more time with my family, I've got more time to cook. We're much more conscious about the food that we're buying into the house. So we couldn't go to supermarkets. So we went to the local butcher, the local baker, the local grocer. I've had people in Tottenham sending me, we had our beer parcels, which I think is helping a lot of us survive at the moment. But I think that kind of understanding of source and locality is probably going to be something that is reflected both in restaurants and also everyone's attitude so maybe maybe spaces are, are designed in a way that reflects that more in courier weekly our email newsletter on friday we featured very briefly the mickelberger hotel in berlin which has turned its restaurant into a grocery store and you know tons of places are doing that now just becoming pop-up larders and stuff do you think that'll happen much more often our clients are going to have to find more sources of providing income certainly if like if they're a restaurant every client that we work with it's about how many covers can you get in that space how often can you turn those covers how efficiently you can serve them if obviously that's going to be reduced through social distancing and maybe that the effect of that long term then they have to look at alternative ways of bringing in income to the business and doing things like tom's just talked about obviously gives them that additional avenue are there any transatlantic differences you guys notice? I mean, I'm from New York. I'm living in London. I mean, Tom, you're right now in L.A. Are L.A. restaurants and hotels acting any differently, maybe due to necessity because the guidelines and the policies and the regulations are a bit different depending on where you are? But are you seeing any differences? Yeah, there's actually, we, and we've been talking to a lot of clients, obviously, transatlantically about this, and there's going to be very interesting differences when things start to come back online. Well, at the moment, London and here are operating in a very similar manner in terms of restaurants can still do delivery and takeout, but that you obviously can't sit in. So that's very similar. But actually, when you start to think about where their products come from, it becomes very interesting because of, even like, you know, you're from New York, a huge amount of the food in New York is supplied. The entire supply chain is in California. So then when they do start up again, there's obviously a lag on, on the supply chain. How does that then affect the restaurants? And the Californian restaurants obviously have much more direct access to local farms. London, obviously, a lot of the food and beverage is supplied from Europe. And especially with the current kind of relationship with Europe, there's going to be an effect 
on the supply chain and i think probably i'm not a chef and i don't or purchasing agent i don't know a huge amount about it but i would imagine that what is going to be available is going to vary more between the places like andy was saying going to your baker going to your butcher we're almost slightly going back in time and i think that what's available in certain places will become more relevant to that place which i think is actually really really interesting and probably great for us to be more in touch with food sources in particular any other kind of tectonic shifts you guys have, have noticed over the past couple of weeks that you think might have an impact on the hospitality industry in, in the months and years ahead? In terms of the restaurant industry, it's more difficult to kind of talk from, from their perspective. But I mean, in terms of our perspective, obviously working remotely at the moment and how that's affected our relationships with our clients, I think the effects of that and the effects that people work are, are certainly going to change. The days of us traveling so we have projects all over Europe at the moment. We've got projects live in Rome with Hoxton and we've, we've got a project in, in Munich at the moment. We'd fly there for a day to do a site visit. I don't think that kind of travel will, will happen as much. Strangely, by not having the face-to-face contact, the communication that we have had with clients seems actually more intimate, if anything. As we look and talk to you now, I've got a snapshot into your life and your home life and... With clients uh, often speaking to us and their son or daughter in the background and you kind of get a, a little intro to their family life. I know clients of ours were laughing the other day as my son was smashing me on the head with a dinosaur as I was trying to make it in point and point about why structural revision was important. It, it's been a positive in that, in that respect to kind of break down some of those barriers. I think that will hopefully move forward after this current period finishes. My special thanks to Tom Parker, Andy Goodwin, and Chris and Kirk Bray for today's show. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to Curry Weekly for more stories of pivoting, adapting, growing, and surviving. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. And if you've got a business question you want answered, well, just send it to me in audio format, and we might be able to put it on an upcoming show. Just record your question and email it to me at daniel at I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again tomorrow. 